Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. All right, Revelation chapter number six, we are looking at the sixth seal tonight and we are going to jump right in. Of course, we looked at Revelation chapter number six, the first few verses, the first eight verses, specifically looking at the four horsemen, the four riders. And then we looked at last week, the fifth seal, showing us the saints who were slain, which brings us to the sixth seal, the sixth judgment. I'll tell you, there's a lot to unpack with this sixth seal. When God, uh, specifically the son, Jesus Christ, opens that sixth seal, there is going to be what I would call a cataclysmic event or even a cataclysmic chain of events that are going to take place. And while we may not understand all that will take place, and there will be some conjecture at what we're going to look at tonight, how what we see in Revelation chapter number 6 fits in with some possibilities of what is actually happening during the tribulation period, I think when we boil it down to what it is, we're going to see that there is going to be some earth-changing, earth-shattering, literally, events that will take place in this early part of the tribulation when this sixth seal is open. So we're going to read Revelation chapter number 6, and we're going to begin in verse number 12, and then we will get to the end of the chapter tonight. So Revelation chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 12, where the word says this, And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us! And hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? You know, we read just a few verses here in Revelation chapter number 6, and it seems like we read them so quickly, and it seems like we read them almost with so little uh, emphasis, just as we're going through and reading it, that it's hard to even comprehend how much the world will change just in those few verses here during the tribulation period. There's going to be a great effect when this seal is unleashed. There will be a great effect that takes place on the creation, and there will be a great effect on those who live in the creation. And we see that here in Revelation chapter number 6, that there's going to be a great effect on the world. The world will literally change. But yet we also see the effect of all of this taking place on the people who live during that time. And I want us to really look at both of those here tonight. So if you are reading in your, writing in your prayer bulletin rather, the first thing I'd like you to write down this evening, there's only two blanks for you tonight. And the first is this, the effect on the creation. The effect on the creation. What is the effect of the sixth seal on the creation? And this sixth seal is different than the other seals because the first four seals were things that were done to the earth by the riders of the horses. And they were done by what commentator Robert Sargent would call God's divine permission. That it's not necessarily that God is the one doing it. Remember, who's the one that's exacting these things upon the earth? It's the riders of the four horses. And so, although God's still in control, understand that. That's why I use that term divine permission, that God is still 
using these events to further his will and his judgment. Then the fifth seal that is open gives us kind of that brief aside. Remember that we get to breathe for a moment and see those who were saints during the tribulation period, that early time during the tribulation, who were slain. But when we get to the sixth seal that is open, and we get to the verses 12 through 17 that we just read, there is no doubt that God is the one who is pouring out his judgment upon the world. There is no more question. There is no more uh, hesitation on our part as we read this. It is God exacting his judgment, literally pouring it out upon the world to accomplish his purposes, which we'll look at here in just a few moments as well. But the effect on the creation is great. The effect on the creation will be as great as it was, or at least since it was, since Noah's time, when the world literally went through the upheaval during that very literal flood that we were just looking at in discipleship tonight, that it wasn't a local flood and it wasn't a flood legend, but a literal worldwide flood where there were only eight people who were saved uh, in the ark. Uh, the world will go through a very similar cataclysmic event through a chain of events that take place. And while we don't necessarily understand exactly how each one will take place, God has given us some clues here in Revelation chapter number six for us to be able to look at. Now, I think it's important that we did read that there was going to be the blood uh, or, or the moon as blood and the sun as black as sackcloth of hair and the stars of heaven falling to the earth as fig, fig trees cast out its figs in an untimely manner. I think it's important for us to recognize here tonight that even as I was reading a commentator today, Henry Ironsides, which is a very uh, strong commentator in a lot of ways, a preacher from about 100 plus years ago, but I was even reading him today and he was trying to explain that the things that we just read were not literal things that actually happened, but things that were spiritualized. Meaning this, I, I took a portion of what he was writing to kind of give you an idea. He said this, for instance, about the stars falling from heaven. He doesn't believe they're actually stars or any kind of cosmic event that's taking place. He said this, The stars falling from heaven indicate, I take it, the downfall and apostasy of great religious leaders, the bright lights in the ecclesiastical heavens. In Daniel, those who turn many to righteousness shine as stars. In the first part of our book, the stars are said to be messengers of the churches. So it would seem clear that we are to understand the symbol in the same sense here. So what Henry Ironsides and other preachers would say and other commentators might say is that, well, these aren't literal things that are happening to the earth. They are just pictures. They're representations of things that happen throughout history or things that will happen in the future, but it's not like there's actually going to be a problem with the sun. It's not like there's actually going to be an issue with the moon. It's not like there's going to be a cosmic event or this great worldwide earthquake. It's not like any of those things are actually going to happen. And may I remind you tonight that as we look at these things, although there is poetic language, and there's no doubt there's poetic language that's given to us here, that does not negate the fact that what we are looking at is very literal and very real future events that are taking place. And I feel like it's important that we say that because we can get sucked into the trap of trying to, quote unquote, spiritualize these things, <coughs> these things into meaning something else uh, entirely. The problem with that is, is that if you do so, it's totally up to interpretation. Well, what do you think the, uh, the sun means that, that is as black as sackcloth? What do you think it means? When, and guess what? 
Everybody has their own interpretation of what it is, and that's exactly opposite of what we're supposed to do to make a private interpretation of the Word of God. You say, Pastor, do you believe these things are going to happen? My answer is yes, these things are going to happen. Is the language poetic? It is in certain ways. Uh, John is seeing this. Thank you, Bitova. You saw me in my need. Thank you very much. Um, is John writing these as best as he can explain them with the eyes that he has as God is revealing these things to him? Absolutely. But does that mean that what we're seeing is not something that's actually going to happen? No, these are very literal things that are going to happen. You say, what kind of things are going to happen? Well, uh, we see there's several devastating things that are going to take place. And you can write these down if you want in the notes section of your uh, of your uh, bulletin tonight, but you'll find these just as we go down from verse number 12. The first thing will be a great earthquake. There's going to be a great earthquake. It says in verse number 12, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake. Now this shouldn't surprise us because Matthew 24, which is one of the chapters where Jesus speaks much about the end times, Matthew 24 verses seven and eight says this, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. And he says this, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Meaning this, that this is something that's unfolding at the beginning of the tribulation period, which would match exactly what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter number six. Earthquakes have devastating power. Earthquakes have world-changing power, the shifting of plates. I was doing a little bit of research on this today, and I saw the recent devastation in Turkey just a few months ago and Syria with its earthquake, a 7.8 earthquake on the Richter scale, and almost 60,000 people perished. Total devastation that took place. Uh, it, and the earthquake, perhaps maybe the greatest earthquake in all of recorded history, May 22nd, 1960, struck the town of Valdivia in southern Chile is the most known as the most powerful ever recorded has become known as the great Chilean earthquake it is thought to have been measured at 9.5 on the Richter scale two tectonic plates shifted by over 30 meters releasing huge volumes of energy and seismic waves. Entire cities were reduced to rubble in just 10 minutes. Some 6,000 people died and resulting tsunamis killed 130 people in Japan and over 60 in Hawaii. Imagine, those are just the kind of earthquakes that we have today. And when I use that word just, of course, understand there's great devastation that takes place with this or with the one in Turkey as well. But can you imagine when the Bible calls something a great earthquake? something that is going to happen, particularly as we continue reading and we see that there's going to be these other events that maybe are interlinked and interrelated to what we see here. The first thing we see is there's going to be a great earthquake that is going to affect a large population of the world. Will it affect the entire world? Will it affect a certain population? We don't know, but I know this. It's going to be great, very likely, unlike anything this world has ever seen. So it starts with this great earthquake. And again, it's not, well, this great earthquake represents world leaders who come together and decide that they're going to... No, no, no. We're talking about the earth shaking, the earth moving, uh, devastating effects, literal event taking place. There's going to be a great earthquake. But the next thing that happens is the sun becomes black. Going back to verse number 12, it says this, that um, it says, then there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. Uh, well, and the moon became as blood. And we'll look at that in a moment uh, as well. Uh, this idea of the sun becoming black might be 
again, there will be certain people that read this, well, Pastor, the sun is supposed to become black. Is that, is that what you're trying to explain? Well, the answer is, well, yes, because the Word of God says it. Now, we can look at this a couple different ways. There's natural phenomenon now that can cause that to take place. For instance, when the volcano Krakatau exploded on August 27, 1883, with the loudest heard noise ever made in the world, an estimated cubic mile of rock entered the atmosphere. The dust and debris circled the earth at a height of 17 miles for two years straight. Listen to this. Strange red sunsets were seen. Now, you say, Pastor, are you saying that this is going to be volcanic activity uh, that takes place? And my answer is, well, well, no, not necessarily. But what I'm saying is we even have natural phenomenon now on a very limited basis that could do something like this, let alone if God deems to find another way to do this. There's 1,500, about 1,500 active volcanoes on this earth today. And I did a little bit of research, uh, you know, uh, a little spelunking, uh, if you will, to try to find out about uh, volcanoes a little bit more. But there is an innumerable amount of inactive volcanoes, so much so that really scientists say we can't even number how many inactive volcanoes there are because we'd have to burrow in and try to figure out uh, exactly what there is. Are you telling me that it's very possible there could be an earthquake that was of such immense power uh, and it could have been related to volcanic activity taking place? So much so that we'll see here in a minute that it's going to alter the Earth's landscape completely? Well, I'd say that's certainly a possibility, uh, no doubt about it. And the next thing is not just this earthquake and the sun becoming black, but the moon becomes as blood. The moon becomes as blood. And again, the same idea would be very clear that if there was this volcanic ash in the uh, in the atmosphere, the moon could become as blood, or could we just look at it this way? God makes the moon look as blood because he can. We don't have to look at scientific events and have to be able to, no, 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 to, to validate these things. We don't have to find scientific evidence to be able to match it up to make sure I'm doing this for conjecture. I'm doing this because I'm saying there are some ways we could look at this right now, but could God just, you know, in his omnipotence, could God in his powerful nature just say, moon, you're red. No, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it's faith. You, you say, you're speaking far too simplistically. No, I'm just looking at it for what it is. Do you realize what we're looking at here is God throwing everything he can at the world in judgment, not just in judgment, but to prove for the final time he is who he says he is. And for God to flip the switch, if you will, on the moon, and all of a sudden it looks like his blood, I don't think it's going to cause him a lot of difficulty, kind of like, you know, um, creating it in the first place. So the moon uh, becomes his blood. That, that's what it says here. Can God do that? Well, certainly he can. Could we look at other examples and other reasons why that could be? Sure we can. But yet at the same time, we see it, we believe it, because God says that is what will happen. But then it says this, the stars will fall from heaven. Oh, pastor, now this is, this is too much. You're telling me that there's going to be stars that are going to fall from heaven. Well, I would say it this way. Again, we're looking at poetic language that is coming from the Apostle John. Not that these are not real things that are happening, but he's looking at things at somewhere around 95 AD on our timeline, and he's trying to explain what he is seeing in a way that we can understand it. 
in a way that he can understand what uh, he is witnessing. And so he's seeing something that's as if stars are falling from heaven. Could that be something like asteroids? Could that be something like some sort uh, of comet or some kind of activity? Could it be that the world is, comes under some sort of attack? Uh, where these uh, large amount of asteroids start coming? Could it be that someone tries to see one big asteroid? You ever heard of this? And they try to explode it? Oh, we'll save the world. And it ends up making things worse. Hollywood's been messing with people's minds with that for years. All of these things are taking place. W what do we know about this? I don't know, but it says that the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken in the wind. The idea of a fig tree in a windstorm dropping everything in an untimely manner, you know, like an apple tree that maybe isn't at its full maturity yet, but a huge storm comes through and the whole crop is ruined. And it's that idea that there is this time when something is not supposed to happen, but it happens and it causes great devastation that links with these other things. So we're seeing that there's going to be activity in the ground. We see there's going to be activity in the sky. We see there's going to be activity coming out of the sky. And even Isaiah speaks of this in Isaiah 34, verse 4, where it says, And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their host shall fall down as the leaf falleth from off the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. So all of this is taking place in verse number 12 and 13. And then it's as if we kind of put it all together in verse number 14, when there's upheaval on the ground and in the atmosphere. Verse 14 says, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. One commentator put it this way, Certain natural disasters can cause massive shock waves of moving air and wind. The sky seemingly split apart. Seeing clouds racing due to storms, hurricanes, or pressure waves might fit this description as well. That possibility coordinates with the description of each mountain and island being removed from its place. Earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanic eruptions are consistent with the idea of shaking, blocking of the sky, and even the disruptions of the sky and weather patterns. And it says in verse number 14, where it says, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Everyone. Everyone. You say, well, pastor, is there any kind of equivalent in human history? And the answer would be yes, during the flood. During the flood, we would find that the earth would be in a much different way, if you will, uh, than it is today because of the Bible saying that that water coming not just from the heavens, but the fountains of the deep being broken up at the same time. And to have this upheaval that's taking place on the planet. And it seems to me, again, do we have all the answers of what that looks like tonight? No, I don't. And I would say, dare say that anyone says that they know for 100% for sure what that is, uh, doesn't know what that is because we can't know for sure. But I do know this, what says is going to happen is going to happen. That's what we have to come down to, that there's going to be this upheaval on the ground. There's going to be this upheaval in the air. And all of this is going to take place. And the world as we know it, the globe as we would look at it, I think would be radically altered and radically changed in just a few moments. But think about this. And this is why, I, although I don't have all the answers for you tonight about what that's going to look like, 
Here's what I do know. As much as we saw panic before with the first four seals being opened, total chaos will reign. The only thing binding the world together will be what? The Antichrist. That one quote-unquote calming figure. That one quote-unquote unifying figure whose unity has not brought actual unity so far. So what is he going to do? Consolidate unity even greater. And that's why government will come together. That's why religion will come together. That's why all of it will come together under his umbrella during this time because of the great panic that takes place. And again, we can't even imagine uh, what that upheaval would look like. Back in January 2010 uh, in Haiti, uh, Beethoven would know a 7.0 magnitude earthquake struck Haiti. 250,000 people reportedly killed, 300,000 people injured, one and a half million people homeless in 35 seconds. A 35-second tremor did that kind of devastation. And you're telling me what we see here will have no effect? This is going to have a worldwide effect in such an amazing way. And, and, And maybe you're thinking tonight that this is maybe a little bit troubling when you think of God, that God is the one, quote unquote, doing this, that God is the one whose hand is bringing this effect on the creation. And I would say a couple things about that. The first thing is this, it's his creation. It's his creation. And he will do what he sees fit and he will do what seems right. But I will say this, Even within the chaos, there is a purpose. Even within the chaos, I believe it shows the very mercy of God. And we'll look at that in just a second. But as much as we almost can't take our eyes off of this, it's hard because I want to give conjecture of what could happen here or what could happen there, but I don't want to give too much because at the same time, none of us know exactly what this is other than we believe what it says because it's the word of God, how that will carry itself out. None of us can exactly know for sure other than know that the word of God is true and the word of God is right and what it says will happen, will happen. But here's something that I can tell you, I can see very clearly because it mirrors what we see today in many ways. And it's not just number one, the effect on the creation, but number two, it's the effect on mankind. And that's the remaining verses of our chapter. Because the effect on mankind is quite clear, and it's something that will help us, or rather we can relate to with what we see in this world today. Look at verses number 15 through 17 again. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us! And hide us from the face of him that setteth on the throne, and from the Lamb, or rather, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? In many ways, what we just read in verses 15 through 17 is even more devastating than the effects on the earth. The way that mankind responds to these things, now, not every single person. But if we were to look at mankind in general during this time, the way they would respond to this is absolutely devastating and absolutely tragic. The first thing we see here is this in verse number 15, that nobody will be spared. Nobody will be spared. 
It reminds me once again of Pharaoh. And there's so many parallels that we go back to Exodus and see Pharaoh and the 10 plagues that took place. But we see that Pharaoh was never exempted from the plagues that took place, that he had his frogs in his bed and in his chambers and such as that. And he had to deal with all the other plagues as well. But we see that if you go back to that list in verse number 15, it says the kings of the earth. Well, that would be the highest. The great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man. You say, how many people is that? That's everybody. That's from the highest to the lowest. Now, look, it's amazing to me that in today's economy and in today's society, when so many people have to deal with tragedy, there's the certain in the 1% and maybe the 0.1%, even more so, uh, that can not just ride out the tragedies of the world, but they actually seem to profit from the tragedies of the world. I don't want to go too deep into that tonight and go down a rabbit hole, but we can see that there are times of great tragedy and difficulty. When everyone seems to be a loser, there does seem to still be a few winners somehow. And some who are financially gaining from the tragedy of greater mankind. But this says this, none of them are going to win. None of them are going to win. The profiteers that try to make it off the back of those who have to suffer, they're suffering too. The ones who say they are in control are not in control. And God is going to expose them for the frauds that they are. God is going to expose them that their political power is nothing compared to him. God is going to expose them that their financial prowess means nothing. Because when you're running for your life and you're cowering trying to find a foxhole to cover yourself with so that the tragedy doesn't come for you, how much of your bank account doesn't seem to matter, does it? You say, well, you know, the rich, they can always buy enough to... Not here. Not here. There's, well, they can get a super yacht and they can go out in the middle of the sea and they can... Well, what I see is the sea is even going to be dangerous. They can... Can we put it this way? I'm not trying to be glib about this. They can run, but they can't hide. They can run, but they can't hide. And it's not just the little people that have to bear the brunt of it. It's everybody because God has brought this on a cataclysmic worldwide scale. Nobody will be spared. P panic and fear ensues. And every class of person is mentioned in verse number 15. They are all attempting to hide themselves. But first, not only will nobody be spared, but get this, no, or many, many will be unrepentant. Many will be unrepentant. Because it says every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. They're just trying to find wherever they can to hide themselves. But what's their response? That's their physical response. But what is their emotional response? What is their spiritual response? And this is what I say. This is even more tragic than what happens to creation because we're talking about the souls of mankind here. This is even more tragic. This is even more permanent because you're talking about, listen, the effect in this creation, it's going to go. The Bible says there'll be a new heaven, a new earth. But there, those, those souls of mankind, listen, that's eternity we're talking about. Th th this, is, this is real stuff. They're playing for keeps here. And it says this, and said to the mountains and the rocks, they're hiding in the mountains, they're hiding in the rocks. And this is what we're saying to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Now we've alluded to this so far, but now we're here. We've alluded to this before, but now we're here to the idea of there comes a point when the world eyes wide open knows this, God's doing it. This isn't just a coincidence. This isn't a fever dream. We're not living out a Marvel movie. 
This isn't the aliens coming and doing their dirty work. No, they are, all other theories have been put to the side. And God has manifested his power in such a way. Like at the beginning of the plagues, they were saying, well, you know, maybe it's God, but you know, our magicians can do it too. And after a while, they said this, yeah, we can't do this. Only God can. It's the finger of God was the wording that was used. It's the finger of God. There will come a point that God will bring himself. You say, why does it have to be so extreme? Listen, do you realize that mankind is so desensitized today to anything from television, from movies, from media, that we are so desensitized that God is going to literally shake this world. And I mean literally. Shake this world in such a way to wake it up. You say, but pastor, this is cruel. It's unusual. It's not within the character of God. But let me ask you this. How do they know that it's the Lamb? How do they know that it's God doing it? And this is where something so tragic becomes something actually pretty amazing and pretty beautiful. Turn to Revelation chapter number 11. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. We'll cover this more when we get to Revelation chapter number 11, but I want to give you a little bit of a taste here tonight because I think without going here, there might be some confusion about how these people know that it's the Lamb of God who is executing this judgment upon the earth. Revelation chapter number 11. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread under her foot forty and two months. And without getting too deep into this, because we'll get to it more when we get to Revelation chapter number 11, there'll be Gentile control of Jerusalem as well as the rebuilding of the temple. By the way, I've seen the research, and maybe you have as well, that many of the components of the temple, that rebuilt temple, uh, to be rebuilt temple, maybe is a better way to put it, are already ready to go. That it just takes someone saying, hey, it's time. And that temple can be rebuilt momentarily. Well, pastor, isn't there a lot of uh, sectarian violence in Jerusalem? And isn't there a lot of fighting about the, the temple mount and all this stuff? Do you realize that unifying figure will take care of all of it? He'll untangle the knot that nobody will have been able to untangle, not even Bill Clinton. And so uh, all of a sudden, what's the world going to do? Uh, is they're going to say, this guy is a unifier. This guy is someone we need to get behind. And that temple is going to be rebuilt in very short order. But look at this in verse number three. And I will give power unto my two, what's that next word? Witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. By the way, I've done the math for you. Forty and two months as well as a thousand three hundred and threescore days both amount to three and a half years. That 360 day year that they would have used and to reckon during that time. And these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them, look at this, to blood, and to smite the earth with, look at this, all plagues, as often as they will. So going back to Revelation chapter 6. Does God just randomly throw these judgments at people without any kind of understanding of the people of why they're coming? Do you know what's happening from the very beginning of that first three and a half year period? Is God sends two witnesses. You say, who are those two witnesses? <laughs> oh, we'll get there after a while. 
and well, the truth is none of us really know, but we have conjecture of who it could be. But those, th th those two witnesses are going to be doing nothing but preaching the righteousness of God. They'll be doing nothing but preaching the judgment of God. They'll be nothing but doing nothing but preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that if someone tries to silence them, they will supernaturally be able to silence the one who's trying to silence them. Flames coming out of their mouth. Say, what does that mean? Well, all I know is this. Whoever is in their way is going to get rolled over. Whatever that looks like, whoever is in their way is not going to. And so no matter how much the world tries to silence him, God for three and a half years is going to have, is going to have these two witnesses who are there saying, repent, repent, repent. Aren't you amazed at the Old Testament how many times God kept sending the prophets to the people of Israel? And they kept killing the prophets. And he kept sending more. And what was their message? Repent, repent. Generation after generation. He should have snuffed them out after Solomon. Look, if we were God, we would have snuffed them out a long time ago. But God in his patience, in his long-suffering nature, for generation, sent prophet after prophet. Why? Because he wanted men to repent and to come back to him. Why is God doing these things? Because he is having the effect on his creation authenticate exactly uh, what these men are saying for the reason of having mankind to repent. And the worst part is most of them will not. Some will. We're going to find out when we get to chapter number 7, there's going to be 144,000 other witnesses who also join in these Jewish men that will be uh, preaching the word of God as well. And some will believe. It, it, remember, it's the world's final great revival that will take place. Some will, many will not. This, many will not. It, it, you know how we know this? Because of what you just said. It says they recognize that it was the wrath of the Lamb of God. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? They said the day's finally come. He's here. Who shall stand up to him? And the problem is, they have partial understanding of the truth. They know God is real. They know God is the God of judgment. They know no one can stand before him. But they refuse to bow the knee to Jesus and trust in the gospel message. And you want to talk about sad. That God, get this, literally moves heaven and earth. Literally moves heaven and earth and sends two witnesses, bringing two people, I believe, from the past back to preach the word of God. When people try to silence them, he silences the silencers. When they get canceled, they cancel out the cancelers. Looking forward to that day. I won't be here to watch. I'll be watching from heaven and appreciating it. But despite all of this, they say this, we don't want any part of him. And it's only going to get worse as time goes on because we see this refrain play out again and again. This is the first time we see it, but we actually see it so much so that there are some who will wish they will die and they can't and they curse the name of God. You say, what does that look like? It looks like what the Bible says it does. And it's tragic. And it's tragic. So where does that leave us tonight? Because, you know, it's one thing to teach these things. It's another thing to bring it back to where we live tonight. Two reminders. One, 
We serve a very gracious and long-suffering God, and don't forget that. The minute you sin this morning, you say, Pastor, who are you to say that I sin this morning? Duh. The minute you first sinned this morning, he could have snuffed you out and still been righteous. He'd still be righteous. No, no, if we did that to someone else, we would not be righteous. Some of you may have thought about that this morning, and that was your first sin, <laughs> trying to snuff someone else out. Uh, but no, he could do it and be righteous in, in, in avenging his holiness. But yet he's so long-suffering. Who puts up with more than God? You think you put up with a lot. And I think I put up with a lot. Who puts up with more than God? But yet he's patient. He loves us. And sometimes he brings earth-shaking things into our life, not because he hates us, but because he wants to draw us back to him. You see, sometimes we get so focused on the, I got to put the pieces of the puzzle together, the book of Revelation, that I'm afraid so many people look at the book of Revelation more as an escape room than something that will help them in the here and now. You know what I mean by an escape room? You ever done one of those things before with the family or something? It's like, oh, I got to get the key here and I got to put it in this mailbox. And then if I open the mailbox, then there'll be a code inside. Then I work out the code and I enter it into this panel and then a door will open. And if I go in there, uh, then I have to take the colors and I have to put them uh, in the order of the color wheel. And if I do that, then, it, you know, one after another, after another, a clue after a clue. And listen, it is good for us to look at these things in that way to a point because, well, that's what I was doing tonight. That's why we're looking at science and we're looking at history and looking at those things and bringing it in to show you the Bible's alive and to show you that these are things that will happen in the future. But at the same time, we don't just look at the book of Revelation as a puzzle to figure out because I'll be honest with you, you'll be puzzling it the rest of your life and you still won't figure it out. Here's what I do know, that there are lessons for us that we need in the here and now. And the one that's here for us tonight is this, that we serve a long-suffering God that will literally move heaven and earth just to try to get someone to be saved. Amen. And that ought to make even a Baptists say hallelujah. That he will move heaven and earth. He, it seemed like maybe he did move heaven and earth for some of you to come to know Jesus Christ. But he's just as interested in you being right with him today. So that's the one side. That's the first application. And it's, if we just dwelled on that tonight, we would be so blessed. But the other side of that is this. That his children, and even those who aren't his children, because we're not looking at... The effect on mankind, those people who were calling upon the rocks to fall on them, they weren't his children. In fact, they refused to be his children. But even his children can be some of the most obstinate, stubborn, stiff-necked, rebellious, high-handed people you will ever find. High-handed, you know what I mean? Like, I'm good, God. It's a Bible, Bible term. Even we when God brings things into our life. Why are you doing this to me? Because he loves you. Why would you do this? Hebrews chapter 12, because you're one of his. In fact, you better be worried when he doesn't do that to you, because he says he chastises his own, and you're not part of the family if he won't chastise you. No, no, we should be blessed that there are times he comes when he puts that chastising hand on us, and what's our response? Don't talk to me, God. Or maybe, listen, I've been, Lord, I've been saved 30, 40 years. This is the way I've always done it. I don't need to change anymore. Haven't I changed enough? That's, that's for the new believers. That's for the young believers. I mean, this is just the way I've always been. No. We can end up being just like those folks in the tribulation. 
stiff-necked, obstinate, rebellious. Was reading through Jeremiah just today. I'll leave you with this. Kaylee sang the song I think it was a couple weeks ago about being on the wheel, the potter and being the clay being on the wheel. And I'm glad he doesn't throw the clay away, as the song says, because this lump would have been out in the trash a long time ago. Yeah, it's, we, we, we've all been lumping together out in the trash. But what happens when the vessel is marred on the wheel? He has to put it back on and rework it. Have you ever seen someone working with pottery? And I've actually seen someone in church work on a potter's wheel before when I was young. It was an amazing thing. And, and this man was preaching while he was working on the wheel. I have trouble preaching and just standing here, let alone preaching and doing, trying to create something at the same time. But he was literally making this beautiful vessel on the wheel while he, while he was preaching. But you know what happens if that vessel, that, that lump gets too dry? You can't work it. You ever see their hands are wet? The clay is wet. In fact, the wheel as it's spinning kind of spins a little bit of spray out because it's so wet. But it gets dry. You can't work it. So what do you end up doing? You have to put more water in. More water in. You know what I found is the case for us when we're on the wheel? Sometimes we get dry. A little bit rebellious. A little stiff-necked. What's the answer to that? A little bit of water. What kind of water? Well, the Bible often talks of itself as the water of the Word. You know what helps soften a heart? Get in the Word. And then let the Word get in you. No, Did you get that? Get in the Word, but then let the Word get in you. Like, I'm not just reading it to be able to have a textbook. I'm reading it as a life book. I'm reading this chapter. Oh, I normally read certain kinds of chapters, but maybe today I'll just read this one because I really need to get it. And I really need to understand it. I really need to... I don't even just understand it academically. I need to apply it because, Lord... I'm on the wheel and, and I need you to soften me up again so that I'm not like those people. So that when you bring that correction into my life, that as soon as you do and the Holy Spirit just pricks my heart, Lord, you're right. I am so sorry. Forgive me. I confess that before you right now. So that he doesn't have to move heaven and earth to speak to us. What I'm afraid of is us as believers, we're so professional. We're so used to being believers, we just do it a certain way. And that's just the way we've been. That we refuse to listen to the Lord even when He speaks to us. And we know He's speaking to us. Like they did. He says, Lord, I'm good. I'm set. This is the way I'm going to do it. It was a dangerous thing in Revelation chapter number 6 for the unsaved. And it's an equally dangerous thing for the saved today. Let's have soft hearts towards a very, very gracious God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.